На трибунах холеют знамена, Облака под небесни плывут. На зеленом ковре стадиона Разноцветные майки цветут. Hello and welcome back to the Russian Football News Podcast. This week we reconvene in what's going to be our last RPL-related part of the season to discuss our team of the season. Now, of course, we did get together just before the winter break to discuss the team of the autumn. And first, I will quickly recap what the team of the autumn was. And it was, of course, uh, Ilya Lantratov of Kimki in goal, a defence of Siska's Mario Fernandez, Dinamo's Roman Yevgenyev, Rostov's Maxim Morsipenka, and Spartak's Ayrton Lucas. In midfield, Rubian's Oliver Abdul-Gore and Sochi's Christian Naboa. A midfield three, behind the striker of Krasnodar's Rami Cabela, Nikola Vlasic, of course, of Siska, and Dinamo's Daniela Savoy. And then up top is the lone striker of Sardar Asmoon. So that has been slightly taken into account, of course, with the first half of the season consisting of two-thirds of the overall game time in the RPL. But instead of doing what we did last year, where we offered up a nomination and then debated a choice for one team of the season, we thought we would change up the method and, and way that we would do it this year by just merely in reading out our own individual teams and just discussing who we have, why we have them, and the merits of their why their performances deserve to be in our own personal team. And that's just because we felt that once it came down to it, it wasn't really so much of a debate due to time constraints. It was unfortunately just a whoever got to be picked, got to go last, kind of made the decision out of purely two versus one sort of thing. And it, it really needs a bigger panel, bigger t- round table, and far longer time to get really into the nitty gritty. So we will, by the end of it, have our own individual teams of the season, which I think will make for a more interesting and better discussion in the long term. So if I will start off, then in goal, of course, again, and I think it'll probably come as no surprise considering I've lauded him throughout the course of the season and my goalkeeper selection is, of course, once again, Kimki's Ilya Lantratov. Um, I think he's been not just one of the biggest surprises of the season, but the outstanding performer in terms of both individual quality and quantity. If you look at the goalkeeping metrics, he's not necessarily the highest on clean sheets. He's not necessarily the highest on in terms of saves or shots faced. Usually that's teams farther farther down the table because of the sheer amount. But he, in per 90 minutes, is the highest of the of the of the goalkeepers and, and kind of leveling it out around along along the top end and has been linked to certain big moves as well, which he would be thoroughly deserved if he does make that move. But I think expectations coming into the season and performances and consistency over the course of it, Lantratov's probably been my outstanding performer, followed by one or two others. But before I get into some other honourable mentions, David, who's your goalkeeper of the season for 2021? Um, I chose you, do you think? I think, obviously, we're all going to have our own club biases in this. And obviously, it's a really fan. I have that bias. But he was duly rewarded for his excellent season by his, his spot in the Euro squad, um, which Van Trantov wasn't. Just going to put that out there. And, uh, you know, late bloomer, you know, his, his first RPL season was only like three years ago when he was 29 or something. Um, 
and you know he's he's barely put a, put a I was going to say a foot wrong, barely put a hand wrong all season. So um, so for me, my my goalkeeper choice was Yuri Dukin with Lantratov a close second. I will say. Yeah, and I must admit, I did. Um refrain from naming my second choice because I thought I had a prediction that you might have went Dupin. Um and that he he was also my second. I think he's another one who's really outshone his reputation, even though to be fair, his stock had already risen before this season with his performances for Rubin in general since his move. But Richard, your goalkeeper? I'm going to go Land Tratov as well. It was very, very, very close between him and Jupin, though, I have to say. Um, I think both of them have had very, very good seasons. But Land Tratov to come up from the Feniel, I mean, Jupin was very good as well last season at, um, at Rubin. But this is um, Land Tratov's debut season in the in the RPL. And, uh, you know, he's, he's 25 years of age, I think 25, 26 years of age. And I think last season in the Feniel, I'm not 100% certain on this, but I don't think he was a regular. For him, I think it's this season where he's really broken into the side, and I think he's just been absolutely superb. He makes he makes good reflex saves. He commands his box well. He's good at shot stopping. I think he's a good all round package. And like I say, I think it's only a matter of time before one of the bigger RPL sides um, comes in for him. And um, here's an interesting mm. stat: um, he's the only player in the RPL this season to have played every single minute, thirty appearances, every single minute of the season. So. Yeah, like Andres Senyonov was the only player last season to do that. This season round, it's um, it's a goalkeeper, and um, yeah, it's um, Ilya Lantratov for me. Although Yuri Dupin was a very close second, it was difficult to separate um, the pair of them. Probably a man- mention, I'll mention to Maximenko as well. I think um, at Spartak, but I think the top two had to be Lantratov and Dupin, and I'll go Lantratov um, as my goalkeeper of the season with Dupin a close second. Yeah, I think it's easy for Lantratov to play every game, considering he has been so good. And when you back up as Yegor Generalov, who, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but has never played an RPL game in his career, um, of course, was, was first choice <laughs> of Dinamo St. Petersburg um, before they kind of became Sochi. But yeah, Lantratov's been absolutely brilliant. But there's a quick last one on goalkeepers because we will try and get through this pod a bit quicker than last time because we don't want to be bogged down 20-25 minutes debating between um, Yaroslav Rakitsky and Samuel Gisho again. But David, no Guillaume. He's got the most clean sheets in the RPL with 14 this season for, for goalkeepers. Yeah, that was probably more down to the defence uh, than anything else. I think we, we all saw that. We all know what he is. He's a, he's a Jekyll and Hyde player. You know, yeah. we, we saw him do absolute madness against Dinamo. Uh, not Dino. Sparta. I was thinking of the Champions League game. I don't know why Dino came to my head. But in the Champions League against like uh, Bayern, and then we we've seen him be absolute dog shite uh, in other games. So uh, yeah, easy choice to not have him. You know, stats back him up. But I think it's it's more of a Nikolic slash team effort. Who and Guillermo just happens to be the one in goal. You know, I'm sure Kuchenko actually had a few clean sheets as well in that little run he had. Yeah, I think Guilherme was excellent, as I mentioned, just in the Spartak game as well, uh, when he had that little run-in with the Fratria, but it, that defence and how organised that is by by Choluka and the individual quality they've got in there, I think they could have probably had someone like Yaroslav Godzier in goal and still managed to keep clean sheets. <laughs> little 
little shout out to God's ear being terrible as usual, but we'll move on to right back. And <laughs> my choice at right back is unsurprisingly, I think the one of the standout defenders, probably the best defender in the league in terms of technical ability. Um, that is Mario Fernandez of Siska. He was the, our choice for the team of the autumn. And he's one of the few Siska players, although he's been missing with injury, um, as he always is. Uh, his performance levels when on the pitch have been just as substantially high as always. And even though Siska have disappointed quite drastically in the second half of the season, dropping down from second at one point to not being in Europe for the first time in 25, I think, or 20 years. Um, Mario's one of the more consistent performers during that run. Um, On the various statistic and punditry channels across Russian football of um, match and sofa score and instat, uh, who scored, most of them have Mario in their team of the season from the statistical point of view, as well as the, the Russian pundits. But uh, David, you're right back. Um, this was a tough one. I actually didn't go Mario in the end. Although he is the best right back in, in the division, talent-wise, I think Victor Moses had a better season. Uh, and so I chose Victor Moses as my as my right back, especially in the running. You know, that, that running, he was... He was particularly good, um, scored a couple of important goals and was just, just yeah, had a very good season uh, in, in Russia. And uh, obviously he's, he's signed up on the permanent. I don't think it's official, but I'm pretty sure we all, we all can tell it's happening. So, um, yeah, yeah. I, I went with Victor Moses. Um, I've got one. I mean, I, I, didn't, I thought Moses, but I didn't choose him because I'm not wanting my Spartak bias to come through too much. But it's it's more of a philosophical question in is Moses allowed to be chosen at right back considering it's not really right back that he plays, even though it is wing back. Yeah, but Mario plays wing back half the time and all. So <laughs> it's uh eat shoots and leaves, isn't really. <laughs> Um But if I mean if Mo- Moses is like more yeah, but, total winger with the Yeah, I mean t- in terms of his back, territory on the pitch. Wing back. Wing back, full back is you know. In a, in the sense of what we're doing, we're we're obviously I think we're going for a four at the back template. Then we obviously have to stretch yeah. the boundaries. Uh, my my uh, I, I know I gave him a shout last time, but I'll give another shout to Gilby Zovtov as well, Ruben, who was who was really good at right back. I mean, there, there was a few players who had very good seasons at right back throughout the league. Um, mm. You know, Nenagov, who's just signed for Lokomotiv. Bojanov Kimki also had a good season. Klusevich had a good season. So. Right back, um, a few good right backs this year, uh, so it was it was a it was a good pool to pick from. Yeah, it's it's promising that we've got difficult decisions all over the pitch because it's not like the end of last season where it was just yep that's Zenit yep that's Zenit yep that's that's also Zenit where like I think the entirety of the defence was Zenit players so. I think that's not just because Zenit performed particularly worse. I think the obviously European campaigns in the back of your mind, but it's there's just been a variety of surprise performers up and down the league, which has been promising to see, and hopefully that can continue next year. But Richard, your right back choice. Um, it's funny because yeah, I was I was thinking the same as you there, James, with regards to Moses. But I guess if we are going to stretch the boundaries, yeah, it was sort of yeah. I'm thinking about it now. It's probably between him and Mario. I think. Um, 
because obviously he's next. We're going to Athletic Player 2. Go on, I'll give the deciding vote to Moses on this one. It was very, very tough between the two of them. And um, I have to say, whilst consistently Mario has been good throughout the season, I think Moses in the, in the final stretch, like David said, he really really showed some fantastic performances. Those two assists he gave against Arsenal Tula, especially the first one when he just completely made a fool out of um, Nikolai Raskarsov at um, Arsenal Tula and just put that ball across for um, Alexander Sobolev to head home. I thought that was that was a superb assist. Um, and he really came to life in the second half of the season and was a big part of Spartak finishing second. I mean, over the course of the season, I'd say Fernandez was consistent, very consistent, very good. But as I think down that final stretch, when it mattered, I think Moses came good for Spartak. It was basically between those two, and because he's a when ex Wigan Athletic player, I'll cast a deciding, deciding, uh, deciding vote for Victor. I think Victor Moses. Um, I know he played at right wing back, but you know, I think we can um, have two attacking fullbacks in our team. Um, and I mean, other shout-outs, yeah, I really like Bozhinov. Shout-out to Kirill Zyka, too, of um, Sochi. I think he got five assists and a goal from right right, right wing-back. Um, Bozhinov was good. Um, Karavai was okay this season, not quite as good as last season. Uh, just a few shout-outs there. But yeah, I'm just going to go for Victor Moses over, um, over um, uh, Mario. Mm-hmm. I mean... What's happened to the world? Why are you two both picking Spartak players while I am not? <laughs> it's a little bit back, a little bit different to the usual, but I think Moses at right back is fine considering Opta's RPL team of the year had Vlasic at left wing back and Kvitsch at right wing back, which is just <laughs> yeah, what Jesus? <laughs> yeah, it was really weird. But we'll go. We'll do the defenders together because it's their central defenders together as one. Um, my pairing in central defence, I decided this was really difficult. Um, I decided to drop Yevgenyev. He was in the team of the autumn. Uh, sorry, Osipenka. He was in the team of the autumn. Um, he really missed Chistyakov alongside him. I thought Osipenka still performed well. Uh, definitely one of Rostov's better players in the second half. But that customary second half of the season fall down the table that you see from Rostov every year is just too difficult to ignore. Um, so I've went with the youngsters of Igor Deveev and Roman Yevgenyev. I think really both came into excellent form this season. Deveev continuing his upwards trajectory that we've seen since he was at Ufa. Um, Yevgenyev taking hold of a position in the first team for the first time a long term. And not just becoming part of the defence, but both of these players lead their respective defences. And at their age, think and considering who they have as teammates in, in terms of the experience of the other centre-backs... I think that's highly impressive from both of them. Um, I was really torn between Gijo as well at Spartak. Gijo has been an absolute beast for Spartak this season, but um, Spartak's defence is kind of like... Spartak are kind of like a glass cannon. So I couldn't really... I, I haven't got any Spartak defenders, spoiler, in mind because because of that, because maybe I am harshing, judging them too harsh because I'm a fan. But I don't want to put them in because Spartak's defence has seen, been so open at times this season but David your pair of um, centre-backs Yeah this was also tough uh, I think I would have had Pablo if he'd played the whole season because um, he was excellent you know, in the second half but I, I went with Yevgenyev and Gigo as my pairing um, Siska was just too bad for me to include any of the defenders uh, as much as Deveev was good for the most part um, <laughs> You know, as a team, they they were not good, really. Uh, so I couldn't mm-hmm. do it, and 
Uh, so yeah, Gigo and, and Yevgeny have one pair, and Admirilo is a close is a close call as well. Um, yeah, because he was also particularly in the first half very good, but again he sort of dropped out of the team. So um, he still played like 25, mm-hmm. 26 games, scored four goals or something as well. But uh, I think in the second half of the season he was um, largely used as a sub. So while he got a lot of appearances, he was just a sub behind uh, Pablo and Chaluka. So. Uh, so yeah, Yevgeny and uh, and Gigo for me. Yeah, I was looking at the the timings of because Murillo and Pablo, I was was one of the sort of thing I was torn between, um, and then Chaluka because Lok- Lokomotiv have been so brilliant for most of the part the part of the year, but at centre back, but Murillo has a quite an exponentially large ratio of appearances in the second half compared to minutes. I think it's something like. Uh, six appearances or five appearances, but it's only like fifty minutes. Um, he came on late in games very often, and he had less minutes than any other um, local centre back in the second half of the season. So I, I, that's also why I didn't pick him. But hey, David, two Spartak players already—that's that's promising signs for our boys. Uh, Richard, your centre backs. Probably a bit of Dinamo bias for me on this one, but I was really impressed. I agree with you guys on. Uh, I agree with you, James, on uh, Devev. Um I. I've, sorry, on uh, Yevgeniev. Sorry, um, I had to I had to have him in there because the way he's just come on leaps and bounds this season. Um, you know, last season he was just blooding himself into the team, and obviously Dinamo let uh, Vladimir Rikov go at the end of the season, and it was obviously to blood um, Yevgeniev in and make him an absolute first team regular and first team choice player now without without um, without any doubts. And um, I think he's really stepped up this season, and I'm looking forward to seeing how. He will develop in the future years for Dinamo. It's um, great to see him, you know, get rewarded now with some um, spawn air call-ups recently as well, which is good. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Roman Yevgeniev as one of my central defenders. And, yeah, I think centre-back was... I, I actually agree with David on uh, Pablo. Had he, had he been there a full season, I think he would have been an absolute um, shoo-in in my team. Uh, but, obviously, he only came halfway. He would have, you know, probably had to been part of Lokomotiv winning the league if, if he would have come in halfway through the season, he would have had to have led Lokomotiv to a title, especially if we were only playing 10 games or so. He was really good. If he keeps up his form from the second half of the season, this season into next season, he'll definitely be in there next season. Um, Gigo was something I cons- someone I considered in the autumn team of the year, and I think he's had another very good season. Um, Diveyev 2, I think, was up there, but I'm actually going to um, throw a slightly left-field suggestion in here, but also someone I think had a very, very good year for a, a surprise package, and that's um, Miha Mevlia of um, Sochi. I think he would have been a second player who would have played every single minute this season. He played 29 appearances, and the only reason he didn't get in as well it, alongside Lantratov as the only player to play every single minute is because he couldn't play against his permanent club, Zenit. So he, that was the only game he missed against Zenit. So... Um, Oh, is he is he on loan there, or is he is he permanent transfer now? I don't know. Is he is he on loan from Zenit? It's permanent. Is it permanent? Oh, well, he must have just missed out for injury. I was wondering whether it was um, whether he was still on loan from them or something like that. But yeah, that was the only game he he um, he missed all season was uh, one of the games against Zenit, and I think yeah, he's been very very good and consistent all season long. Top five finish for Sochi European football. I felt, you know, some of the players do deserve some recognition and I think Mevlia has been a beacon of consistency for them. So, yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Mevlia and um, Yevgeniev as my central defenders. Mevlia not playing in Zenit, the team that he was signed from. That's a coincidence. <laughs> Sorry, I'll not I'll not dive delve into the Zenit-Sochi conspiracy theories because it's all very gammon. Um, 
So one player we've all picked with there was Roman Yevgenyev. David, just how unlucky is he, or how wrong is Stani not to be taking him to the Euros? Yes, it's, it was a surprise to me actually, um, just because I I thought that Stani was against or had sort of a a black markup against Diveyev after because Diveyev was quite poor when Russia lost to Serbia five 0 Um and considering like Russia are playing five at the back when they go to the Euros, but they've called up very a few defenders in the final final squad, you know. Um and it would have been, you know, I think we all would have if we were all in charge, we would have chosen him over Kudryashov. Um I think Kudryashov's versatility, not that you maybe want a 35-year-old playing at left wing back, but if you've got Zhirgov playing there, then it's no problem. <laughs> but he can play, obviously, in left, at left back as well, which maybe gave him an edge, I don't know. Yeah, I think we all would have chosen him, and it is it's a little harsh. Uh, and it's disappointing, and, and it's a surprise, because, you know, for me, I thought he'd had a better season than Dewey. Um, so, yeah, it, it's yeah. a shame. <laughs> The composition of that squad's bizarre. I think there's only seven defenders, including wing-backs, for those five positions. Two of them are over the age of 35. So aside from the old men, you've got Jikia, Semyonov, Karavayev, Deveev and Fernandez. I think the only thing... I mean, it's bizarre because Starney's not a very progressive coach. He likes his teams to kind of... Especially, you say, Belgium in the group stages to soak up and sit deep. But the only reason I can think of is why Yevgenyev hasn't been called up is perhaps because of, I mean, Semyonov's experience. Um, and Yevgenyev isn't as technically proficient on the ball as the other ones. He always likes his central player out of the three to be quite good on the ball because they can spread play. Um, it was Chikia who started there. And then when... Uh, Semyonov went off. Kudryashov actually moved from the left to the right. Chikia over to the left and Deveev stayed in the middle. And Deveev, as we all know, is very competent on the ball and playing out from the back. That's the only thing I can think of is why, apart from just Starney's usual proclivity to like men over the age of 30. I think Egoniev is actually he's a very good ball player. He's certainly very comfortable bringing the ball out of defence. Mm-hmm. So and certainly better than Semyonov well, and Kudryashov as well. So that's, I'm just trying to spitball from his point of view because it's bizarre because he, for me, is the most complete young Russian defender in terms of two-way physicality, position and intelligence. He's been probably, I mean, we've all, he's the one player we all picked in our team of the season. When he speaks, when you look at most others, most, a lot of people are also picking him. Um, as like one of the shining lights of the the younger core of Dinamo players who are all coming through at the moment, so it, it must just be Stani's penchant for for experience. I mean, Kudryashov's nearing fifty caps. Um, Semyonov has got twenty odd. Shikia, um, I think thirty to forty. So it, it's it's good numbers, and Yevgenyev's got what three now. So. It, He's very unfortunate, um, and I just I, I, I don't agree with it whatsoever, to put it bluntly. But if we move on to left-back, um, of course, Ayat and Lucas was the team of the autumn left-back. 
And he was one that I really kind of s- debated between myself. Um, in the end, I did go for Douglas Santos. Ayrton's been absolutely electric going forwards, but he has been s- somewhat inconsistent defensively. And that Diag to the right-hand side has been a consistent threat for teams who are playing Spartak. Uh, one side who exposed that in particular was Zenit, and I think it was, was it Malcolm? I can't remember if it was Malcolm or not, who had an absolute field day on that, on that right wing. Um, and th- that's it was Zuba kept peeling off to Ayrton, to that gap in between him and Jikier on Spartak's left-hand side. I mean, Ayrton's defensive ability will come with time. He's got bags of potential and ability. But every now and again, he is prone to that little sort of wobble. And in lieu, I chose Douglas Santos because he's just an absolute beacon of consistency year in, year out. I think he's, no matter if he plays centre-back, left-back, a central midfield for Zenit, he is their like, go-to man for for just consistently showing up. And it, it, it's almost like a microcosm of Zenit this season. Them, they as a club have ground out a lot of results during the course of it and just steamrolled on to the title. And Santos himself, while not particularly being too flashy, has be, had a very good season. But I don't think he ever puts a bad shift in. I, I really can't remember. I mean, I don't know if either of yourselves can I mean, when, um, remember or not, but if he's ever had like, just a, a rank awful game, because I mean, that happens, that's football it's it's about momentum shifting and and physically and and mentally as well as on the pitch and and people ebb and flow in in, in the performances but david's your choice for left back yeah i went with douglas as well um you know he's he's one of Zenit's best signings certainly in the last sort of five five six years you would say just in terms of value especially value for money um I want to say he costs like six mil or something. I don't know if I'm remembering that right. But yeah, I mean, just fantastic. Versatile, obviously primarily a left back, but has has played all over the shop. And yeah, so uh, it's just so good. And he's also the, the joint top assister in the league this season with seven, which, uh, you know, it, it was a surprise. Not, you know, seven assists is the top top for assists this season across the whole league, which is, which is low. You know, there it was... I was looking through it earlier and there was just a big list of players between like seven and four assists and that, and that was it. You had no one no one getting to double figures, which which is rare. Um so I think that only that only uh bolsters his 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 candidacy. Um it was tough for me to not go for Samoshnikov because he's also had an excellent season and it's a bit unlucky to to miss out on the Euros. I, I wonder if he was fit, would he have made it over Kudryashov as well? Um, mm-hmm. You never know, but um, you know, uh, have to have to give it to Douglas. Yeah, and I think if I remember rightly, apart from the local players, where local just turned into like a a clean sheet machine in the second half of the season, uh, Douglas has got the highest percentage of clean sheets to to matches in the whole in the whole uh, RPL with thirty two percent of his matches this season have resulted in a clean sheet. And considering he played twenty eight games, that's a pretty damn damn good percentage. But Richard's your left back choice. I'm just gonna go for Douglas like you two guys. Um it was very tight for me between Ayrton, Samoshnikov and um Douglas Santos. 
I pondered all three because they've all had good seasons, I think. But it's a bit like, you know, when we all go on about the default right-back choice being Mario, if you're not quite 100% sure, because normally he is, you know, good and consistent for Zaska. I think the same applies down the left side for Douglas. You know, as David alluded to, he's versatile. He's played central defender, central defender for Zenit this season. I think he stepped in there against Zaska when I think one of the defenders was unavailable early on in the season. And he's played in central midfield before. And, you know, he's just a good, solid player. Um, never lets you down. Um, and I think as well, what also has to be considered is just a run at the end from Zenit to get the title. Um, you know, just a good, solid run. And I think that's, you know, of results and, and performances from him. And I think that's just giving the edge over Ayrton and um, Samoshnikov. Although both of them had very good seasons too. So yeah, I'm going to go um, three out of three on this one and make it Douglas Santos as well. Um, you know, just a very good, consistent player. And one of Zenit's best buys in recent seasons, definitely. Yeah, certainly. Uh, central midfield. Well, I'll again take this as a as a duo. Um, my, our choice, our combined decision in the on the autumn was Oliver Abdelgo and Christian Naboa. I might be taking a little bit of an easy route out, but my team of the season centre midfielders are Oliver Abdelgo and Christian Naboa. Um, I don't know how many superlatives that I can mention about Christian Naboa that I already haven't this season because. I think pod after pod have kind of droned on about just how unbelievable he has been, but in lieu of doing so and spouting more aphorisms that are, mean nothing but words, I'll just read some of his statistics for the for the RPL this season. Bear in mind that this man turns thirty uh, th- turned thirty six in April. Um, Twelve goals, seven assists. The most big chances created, uh, joint most assists in the league, a scoring frequency of 181 minutes, which is three times more prolific than he's ever been in his career before, considering um, who he's played for in Russia. He's been in the team of the week more times than anybody, uh, that's the RPL one, uh, more times than anybody apart from Zuber and Asmoon, and is, is by quite some distance... I think he's he's created almost 50% of Sochi's chances this season. So he's just really having an unbelievable twilight to his career. And even perhaps calling it a twilight is maybe insulting just, just how effective he has been for Sochi in getting to European football for the first time in the history or potentially if they win the, if they win the, quali- if they win the qualifiers. But uh, David, your midfielder choices? Yeah, I went with Naboa as well. Um, I was slightly different to you on on the other one. Um, I went with Abulgor as uh, as my second midfielder. Um, That's who I said. No, you said Abulgor. Oh, here we go. Sorry, I had to do it. Oliver Abdilgard. (laughs) Abulgor. Come on, Abulgor. Abdilgard. Abdilgard. There's no D there. Abdilgard. I hear a guy. I hear a D. I don't even think it's spelt with a D, is it? If it is, then I've missed it forever. Anyway. No, I, I think I spelt it wrong in our, our little uh, document. Oh, on purpose, just to roll me up. <laughs> and then read it out wrong by accident, too. Anyway, go on. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, mine were easy, easy choices, the same two. Abelgore and the, and the Boa. Uh, I can't really echo anything, add anything to what you said about Naboa, and Abelgore was just outrageously good. Uh, it's a it's an absolute crime that he's not going to the Euros as part of Denmark's squad. 
Uh, what? He, he, he didn't make the final squad somehow. Who's playing there instead? <sighs> Little Mermaid. I don't That's even know. Ridiculous. It's, it's mad, isn't it? It is mad. I can't remember. I remember seeing it and just tweeting someone on Twitter about it, and they were like, "Oh yeah, well they play this guy and this guy instead." Um, you know, I, but all this... all Denmark do is defend. He's he's absolutely ideal for their backs against the wall, defend and pretend to try and score every now and again. We can uh, we can quit question uh, and quiz Tokyo about it when we when we get around to doing it. Uh, some Euros pods later on, uh, but. You know, he, he's been spoilers. That's a little little a spoiler, and maybe little surprise for everyone. Yeah, spoiler, uh, but yeah, he, he's been he's been fantastic. You know, he he made it so that Ruben's defence, which you know the defensive partnership of um, you know, for for a while it was Starfelt and Begic with Iremovic at right back, um, or Starfelt and Iremovic. Uh, he made it. So they didn't have to work so hard. Um, he, he had like the most interceptions, the most blocks, some of the highest pass numbers in the league. It was just, you know, he was just brilliant. Um, and it's no surprise really to hear um, Oleg Yurovinsky say that, you know, there, there are clubs interested in him. You know, they, they obviously want to keep him, Ruben, as they're going into Europe the first time in six years. Um, yeah, he, he was he was just fantastic. One of, one of our best players. Um, I was so gutted. Like he had a couple of really good chances to score. Uh, throughout the season, and especially on the last day, he had a good chance against Rotor, I remember. Um, but he didn't manage to score all season, which was a shame. But it's a classic centre defensive middle fielder, you know, not to score. So, um, yeah, it had to be those two. Krakowiak was close. Krakowiak had a very good yeah. season as well. Um, but you can only have two, and therefore I had to, I had to sadly leave him out. I was going to mention Krakowiak towards the end, but I would like to also put a little brief mention in for Naboa's central midfield partner in Arta Yusupov. I kind of mocked Yusupov signing for Sochi because, I mean, it's Yusupov in past seasons. I think he he played like twice for Zenit and like single figures for Dinamo and Rostov. Uh, it was terrible for most of those games spent almost 18 months out injured at one point or another. And this season he's played in all but four and he's got nine goals and assists. And most of his goals are absolute worldies from like miles out. So I'm genuinely shocked at how absolutely brilliant he's been. Not quite enough for considering the high level of quality that Gregorz Kokoviak's been one of the best players in the league this season. And, Maybe it's criminal to not have him in, but such is the high level of Nabor and Ab- Abdelgard uh, performances this season. But Richard, your centre midfielders, I- I- I'm presuming there's perhaps a trend here. Yeah, I'm going to go with both um, Nabor and Abul Gore as well. Um, it was, yeah, I- I've got to include them both because they both had excellent seasons and Rubin and Sochi have, have both. Uh, overperformed this season compared to where we thought they would be at the start. Uh, Abel Gore, just as David said, just classic defensive midfielder, screens the defence so well, just lets the attacking players at Rubin um, do their stuff in um, in the opposition's half and the final third. And the Boa, yeah, 
still, you know, I really honestly thought he would, you know, start declining when he left Zenit. I really genuinely thought he's been a brilliant player in Russian football, wherever he's been. And that, but I genuinely thought when he was at Zenit, after he left Zenit, that was it for him. Um, but he's proved me and all of us wrong, I'm sure, this season with his performances. And he's, he still looks like he's got another year left in him next year. So, so yeah, um, I'm going to go with Gore and uh, Naboa. A couple of honourable mentions. I think Daniel Fomin's had a good season at, um, at Dinamo. Um, if he'd have been fully fit, signed at the start of the season, was fully fit throughout and played throughout, I think Vandell also would have been a good show because I've been really impressed with him whenever he's he's played uh, for Zenit. And I think he can play in a deep two. Um, mentioned for Krakowiak mm. as well because, um, you know, he's he's been a classical box-to-box player in this um, locomotive side. He's he's the box-to-box player in the, in the three in midfield. Uh, this formation that they play. But yeah, I'm going to go for Abel Gore and um, Naboa as my defensive uh, deep midfield too. So right wing, and this is where I personally have to try and shoehorn people in because of the way we are doing it and and where players are playing. Um, On the right wing, I've actually went Jordan Larson. I know he's not really a right winger, but in Spartak's 3-4-3, he, he is a second striker. Or even 4-3-1-2, he's the one who drops deep most of the time. And his sort of go-to move is to peel off into the right channel and burst a pace around the back of the defence and get in behind and penetrate around the right-hand side that way. So there is reasoning to my madness and it's not just shoehorning Larson in because I want to shoehorn Larson in. Although I do really want to shoehorn Larson in, but I think he's been brilliant for Spartak this season. I mentioned pre-pod that Spartak signed Quincy Promise in the winter. And since then, before then, Larson was already performing towards the top of his game and has been, in my opinion, Spartak's player this season by quite some distance. Um, although he doesn't have as many goals as Sobolev and his statistics aren't quite as nice as, say, some of the Zenit attackers, his overall quality of the way that Spartak have been transformed in their attack and play from what was last year quite turgid, just pure counter-attacking stuff at the best of times, into a real force up top. Some of the goals against in the second half of the season, in particular that route 6-0 route of Ural, which, I mean, look, a lot of teams do that, but... The quality of the pass to Quincy Promise for one of the best goals of the season was just typical of and typifies Larson's play where he is a real sort of all-round complete forward in, in his terms of his technical ability. Similar ability to his father, but much less of a penalty box off-the-shoulder striker, which I think is maybe just more adhering to the nature of the game 20 years to 25 years after his father did play it when he was in his in his pomp. Um, David, your right winger. Um, I did the same as you, uh, and put Larson at right wing, just purely because you know he is not the out and out striker always in that formation. Spartak play, um, and so therefore, yeah, I, I, I've put him there. And actually, even if you didn't want to put him there, the selections for proper right sided midfielders is quite slim. Um, you know, I struggle to think of anyone else, and I actually only just in the last couple of minutes remembered Makarov, who I was just about to ask maybe Dennis Makarov. Was the only other one? You know, Cabela, you, yeah, you might put yeah. there. You could you could shoot on Cabela there, maybe you could shoot on Vlasic there, maybe or something. But um, 
in terms of out on out right wingers who had very good seasons, there you know there wasn't many. Um, you know, the Zenit, you know, you maybe could put Malcolm there, but did he really have that good a season? Other than just to, you know, it's, you know, he made all the team of seasons because you know he had a high pass completion, dribble, yada yada yada. But in terms of actually doing doing stuff on the pitch, you know, and contributing to goals and assists, there was there was not much there from Malcolm. So yeah, Larson. Just for all the reasons you said, you know, basically he he, he was my choice for for right wing. I am um, obviously whatever this is, guys. Go look, go listen to their podcast. Um, you find it on all the usual podcast channels and on YouTube as well. But they did a unpopular opinions recent uh, podcast recently, which is a great listen, and I, I recommend everyone go go find it. Um. I didn't end up writing in because work unfortunately got in the way of of me remembering to do so. But one of my (laughs) unpopular opinions is that Malcolm's a stat padder, which is maybe a little bit cruel and a little bit anachronistic, but it's kind of like you said, David, where Malcolm contributes a lot to kind of non-final third stats. If 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 that makes sense, maybe there's a better way of saying it, but that's really why I went against Malcolm. His, his ratings are all really high. Apart from like the ones that you would expect from a typical winger, like if you look at his and Kavicha's, they're just like totally different, totally different styles of player, totally different types of football, of course. But Kavicha's is more towards like a typical what you would see of a typical winger's analytics, just like times a hundred in terms of dribbles and so on. Um, I thought about Cabela. Cabela was, of course, in our autumn team of the season, but. I after Krasnodar's season, I just don't want to include anybody from Krasnodar. Uh, Richard, your right wing. Yeah, similar similar thinking to you guys. I think I'm after gonna gonna have to put Jordan Larson there. I think I think McCarth had a good season uh, overall, and I think the issue with Malcolm for me, the biggest issue with Malcolm again is is that he's had an injury disrupted season. I mean, I think. Really, in terms of like ability, I think well, a comparative situation to Malcolm is a situation Hazard's found himself in at Real Madrid. In the sense that we can't really make a full judgment about him yet in his time in Russian football, a full judgment because quite simply he's been injured quite a lot of the time. You know what I'm saying? And again, this season was a bit of an injury disrupted season for him. I think he missed the first couple of months. So and and then just after the restart as well, I think if he if he had had a full season, I think and probably got. A few more goals, a few more assists. I think he could definitely have been in the conversation for that right wing, right wing role. Um, but again, just too much injury, injury disruption. Again, hopefully, third season he will fully stay fit, and we can finally start to see the player that you know Zenit shelled out the money for. But um, but yeah, I'm going to go with Larson too. I think he he's good when he plays off um, Sobolev for Spartak, um, and sometimes he starts in that right channel as well when they're constructing attacking moves. So yeah, I'll go for I'll go for I'll shoot Hall shoot Hall and Larson in the um, right wing, so <laughs> in the formation. So number ten. Now this I must admit, in the autumn was the easiest and most obvious decision I think maybe any of us could have made. Um, the by far outstanding player by quite some distance in the first. 20 games in first half of the season was, of course, Nikola Vlasic. He was absolutely brilliant. Now, since the winter break, perhaps it's owing to having a PE teacher in charge, just getting them to run about a bit. But Vlasic's influence certainly did wane quite somewhat, and that was a large reason as to why Siska dropped from second to sixth and ended up 
15 points behind Zenit at the end of the season, despite being only two points behind them when when they played each other. Um, and because of that, because of how far Cisco dropped off, and he is basically like Cisco's, like Cisco up, up, up top. I was really torn between him and I, I don't know if this is a surprise, maybe maybe not, but Sebastian Shemansky um, has been absolutely brilliant, and Zakarian as well. To two Dynamo players who play as kind of like twin number tens and and, and change positions a lot, but Shemansky's started 28 games this season. Uh, I think 23 of them were as a 10, and others either slightly deeper or on the right-hand side. Now, his goal output isn't... He's like Malcolm a little bit to an extent, where he's only got one goal this season, five assists, which is far better, of course, only 30 games. But it's a chance creation that's really impressive with Shemansky. Um, He's vital to that Dynamo counter-attacking unit that works so well, soaks up the pressure led by Yevgenyev at the top, and then at the other end of the pitch, Shemansky's kind of like the deep-lying creator, even though he's not deep-lying whatsoever. But in the end, I, th- I did stick with Vlasic. I think he's his first half of the season, or first before the winter break, which is obviously the 20 games, not just the 10. Um, it's it's too He was too far too good to be able to overlook whatsoever. But Anyway, I, I don't know if you, you agree at all, but David, what, who's your number ten for the team of the season? Yeah, I, I literally had the same the same duo as as my first and second picks for that position. Vlasic top, you know, he he's still you know he is one of the probably top three players in in the whole league, and he he was just part of the whole Siska downturn. He, you know, maybe it was just the fact that he wasn't playing well, which is why Siska wasn't playing well. But Cisco, in general, obviously, was just not doing very good. Uh, hence, got Trinka going and Pizic coming in. Um, so, yeah, it, it was flashes for me. And Szymanski also, by the way, not going to the Euros, did make the final cut for Poland, um, which was another surprise for me because yeah, I thought he'd had a very good season. And he'd been involved a lot in qualifying too. So, um, hmm. another player I felt a little hard done by. Um, so, Harian, you know. <laughs> over a longer period in season, a bit like Pablo, you, you might, you might, you know, you might well have picked him, uh, but you know, ultimately, just didn't play. Obviously, until November, which uh, sort of rules him out a little bit there, and then sort of, you know, the rest, the rest of the attacking midfielders in the league, no one was sort of stand out. So yeah, it had to be Vlasic really. And also, not many teams play with an attacking midfielder, obviously. Uh, a lot of five five men defences, meaning that the midfields are usually just midfielders. Hmm. Yeah, I think Shemansky wasn't called up. But it's one of those where he's obviously chiefly a number ten in Poland. When they play a lot of, they, I mean, they play smaller teams. They'll go a diamond formation, um, Krakowiak at the base, and then Milik supporting Piatek and Lewandowski. But when they do play bigger teams, like when they played England and lost 2-1 in March, I think it was March, it was the last set of internationals just before the Euros, before the, the, these ones now, um, they went for a back five and packed the midfield with um, Jakob Moda, Krikowiak and Zielinski. And then you look back whenever, because I, I looked into this myself, I was wondering, what, what the hell, why Shemansky not got called up? That's, that's wild, because I've seen 
I was looking at the squad before the Russia game, and that seems to perhaps be why, where he's one of those where he just doesn't quite fit into Paulo Souza's preferred formation against bigger teams, um, which is I think is very unlucky because he, he was involved in all but one qualification games, if I remember rightly. But anyway, Richard, you're number 10 for the team of the season. I am going to go with Lasic as well. Again, it's sort of another one a bit by default, really. Um, there's not a lot of tens, as, as has been said. Um, and yeah, he did drop in the last nine, ten games of the season. But I don't think that was all just due to him. I think there was other external factors there. You know, the Olich appointment not particularly being inspiring based on what we've seen so far. Goncharenko's latter days at Siska dropping and fading. I think that had a factor to play. I think the whole team slumped, you know, at Siska. It wasn't just um, Vlasic's form. The whole, whole team slumped, I think, in, in general. So I'm, I'm going to include him purely on the basis that there wasn't a huge amount of choice um, for a number 10. I am actually going to slightly disagree with Szymanski. I actually thought my take on the Szymanski situation was he was really good. He was good at the start of the season, but I think he faded. I was having a look at his assists and goal output yesterday on uh, transfer marks, and his assists and his assists at the start of the season were relatively frequent when they dropped in the second part of the year. I just felt I felt what was quite interesting was around the Christmas break and just after what I found was Zakayan actually came on the scene and mm. actually outshone him a little bit. That's what I I think with Samansky. I think he had a good start to the season, but then faded a touch and then Zakayan sort of took the mantle. Like I say, it was with Zakayan, it was it was kind of him and Chukavin the latter half of the season who were really carrying Dinamo's attack. You saw it in all the games; they were the ones getting involved with play, creating chances. I still think Samansky had a decent season, but I think he dropped in the second half. Um, and I think Zakarian, you can't really include, as much as I'm a huge fan of his, as much as I think he's got a fantastic future ahead of him, It's I can't really include him in a team of the year based on just half a season. I can't. Um, you know, If he continues his form next season, he could be in contention, but I just can't include him on half a season's form. So I am going to go with Vlasic. Like I said, like you both, guys, both you guys mentioned, there's just not a huge choice. And he was really good in the first part, first two thirds of the season, Vlasic. So I think... That just about keeps him in there. So I'm going to go with Vlasic as my pick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that seasonal change is interesting because early on, Szymanski was very much a straight-up number 10. It was generally him in G and Lissavoy behind Chukavin. Um, that uh, that was any of the front four when they, when they absolutely demolished Lokomotiv 5-1. And then the second half, obviously with the onset and the introduction of of Zakarian, Zaharian into the team, uh, Schwartz swapped, uh, changed it around a little bit and, and generally played more of a 4-3-3 where Morrow would protect the defence. And then Shemansky and Fumin either side. And he, he did drop Shemansky deeper into a, a generally a, a more of a deep-lying role. And that's when his outputs did start to dwindle. And that's nothing against him. He still played very well in that position. But like you, like what you said, Richard, I think it's more of a just how good Zaharian was and his impact of, of when he really burst onto the scene. Yeah. Is what I think went the form- against him. the formation when Schwartz came in, it, it sort of went, it was like a 4 3 2 1 with Lezavoy and Zakayan behind Chukavin. And then the midfield three, I think he was the one who was more advanced, um, Szymanski, but he also came deep and did some defensive responsibilities too alongside um, Morrow and Fomin. 
Yeah, I mean, mm. I think he had, I think he had, he was improvement on his first season in Russia, Szymanski. But I did think it dropped after the winter break. So the third season's massively important. He's just extended his contract at Dynamo, hasn't he? So I think third season's going to be big for him. Hopefully, he can have a good, mm. consistent season. If he, and if he can, he can definitely put himself in contention for Team of the Year next year. But I just felt that slump definitely counted against him. And um, Zakayan's emergence on the scene too, like you said. And such is Dinamo's sort of strength towards youth is that he's actually still only 22. Like Lesavoy, 23. Gruliov, 22. Zaharian, 18. Chikavin's not 19. I mean, Morrow's the oldest out of the regular front six, and he's 23. Um, oh, is it Femin now? I think Femin's 24. I think he's just turned. So it's really promising for Dinamo if they can keep that together and and really work at it with Schwartz, who's known for working really well with, with younger players. But uh, on the left-hand side, um, it's one man and one man only for me, and that's Kavicha. Uh, I might as well just pass him on straight to you, David, because I'll be very surprised if it's not Kavicha. It is, of course, Kavicha for me. Um, <laughs> you know, we, we had less of all in the first half of the season because we were... You know, Lesserway was particularly good, obviously, first half of the season. Um, but after that first international break of, of 2021, um, I mean, Kvitsch started, was, was a letter over the winter break. I remember saying like, during the during all the pre-season or the mid-season friendlies and stuff, um, and I was hoping that he would carry it over, and he, and he did. You know, he was, he was so good up until obviously he got injured with about four games to go and missed the rest of the season after that. Um, but he was excellent, and then obviously after that international break where he, he shone against Greece and Spain, he, he was just the confidence was flowing so high, so high for him, and uh, you know it, it, it's hard to not have him in there. Uh, won, won the Young Player of the Year in, in the RPL as well eventually, and you know he, he's he's going to be off. He pulled out the Georgian national team recently just to avoid getting injured. Uh, so it wouldn't scupper his, his transfer wherever that's going to be to. We still don't know. Uh, Rubin have already signed a replacement, uh, Serhak Sabanovic. So he, he's off and he's going to get a very well-deserved move. And I'm really looking forward to, to seeing how where he goes and how well it's going to work for him. You know, we we know, or I know, certainly from, from watching him, from, from, you know, the, the interaction I've had with Ruben fans and, and Ruben and his team is that, he needs to play regularly. He needs to. He 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 has the drive, but he needs to be playing regularly. Otherwise, he's just going to dwindle. So wherever he goes, he's got to be getting getting regular football, regular starts. Um, and then hopefully, it'll be sort of a bit like room where he's allowed to just express himself and, and do what he does best. But uh, yeah, undoubtedly, creature on the left wing. Yeah, I think. Less, I mean, Lesser Voice still got 12 goals and assists this season, but the vast majority of them were in the first half. He's another one who kind of dropped in and out of the team a little bit. He's still regular player. I think he played in most of the games, at least started or off the bench. But he, he definitely was less of a first name on the team sheet like he was in the first half of the season with Zahayan, Chikavin, their emergence. And even once Igboon returned back from injury, he, he picked up his regular base on the left-hand side again more often as well. So it's, <laughs> I think Kavicha's, like you said, after that that winter, that, that um, international break, it, it 
lots of that's kind of when the rest of football Twitter, not just like the Russian football echo chamber, but the rest of like football Twitter and kind of was like, who's this guy doing this against Spain? Bit there, what these are his stats numbers? What the hell? Like, and then now he's being linked with Leeds, and I can't imagine a more perfect move for him. I mean, maybe the Premier League might be a little bit of a physical rush too much, but his style is ideal for Leeds and ideal to thrive in the Premier League. Under a manager like Marcello Bielsa, there's I can't imagine a better move for him. And we all know he's off, and I don't know how legit these rumors are. That's just what what's kind of been one of the one of the rumors online. But Richard, your left winger. Yeah, I'm gonna make it three out of three. I'm gonna say Kavicha. It has to be. Um and he's he's on the verge of like we've just been saying there, he's on the verge of a well earned move. And like you said, James, I'd love to see him at Leeds. I think it just, you know, under Bielsa just just absolutely fantastic. Uh, another another reason for people to watch Leeds in the Premier League, you know, because um, obviously you know that the, the attraction of Bielsa when he whenever he's coaching a team draws fans to the team he is coaching, and you know I can yeah. imagine a, a Fleur player like Kvicha being, you know, just I another another reason to watch them. Um, I mean, some of the links I have seen where he's been linked with Sevilla, Milan, they're all really exciting, you know, because um, both those two clubs could offer Champions League football. You know, Milan have been known over the years as well for being a club that plays predominantly older players, but that is changing now. They're, they're now starting to, with the exception of Ibrahimovic, Ibrahimovic up front, they're now starting to play more younger players now. So, you know, that might also be a decent move for him. They're back in the Champions League again now, Milan. Um, and and Italian clubs are now specifically looking at the RPL as a market. I definitely know that for a fact. There's been a few players who've been linked with Serie A clubs uh, from the RPL recently. So, um, so yeah, it has to be Kvicha mm-hmm. for me, and I'm, I'm I'm absolutely buzzing for him. I hope he gets a good move somewhere where he'll continue to play, continue to develop, um, the development continue after the way Slutsky has brought him on over the last year, year and a half. So, yeah, it has to be Kvicha on the left side for me. Lezovoy, interesting with Lezovoy, I think he's sort of like Szymanski, but for the Russian national team, I think had he continued his form throughout the season, I think he could have made Spornaya squad. But again, I just think that latter half of the season where his output dropped, I think has cost him probably a chance of getting into the Spornaya squad for the Euros. Um, but yeah, still rate, I still rate Lezovoy as a player, just hopefully he'll come back like Szymanski and have a good full consistent season next season. Because um, I like Szymanski, I do like him a lot as a player. So. Yeah, <laughs> there's nothing else to say. We all bleat on about Kavicha probably far too much, to be honest. And everyone's probably sick of the sound of us discussing him. But some might say not. We'll move on to <laughs> we'll move on to strikers. And there's actually that philosophical question I had earlier about positional, and we decided to stick with a four-two-three-one for the science, where we had a four-two-three-one for the first half of the season. So it was a nice consistency for the second half. And when I was drawing up my options and and researching for team of the season, that was the biggest question mark I had was, should I switch to a two? Because trying to pick one of the two that I had shortlisted, obviously with the proviso of the Larsons on the right, is really difficult. It's like trying to pick a favourite child. Um, And that two, of course, is Zuba and Asmoon for me. I did go the big man in the end. Um, maybe unfair, but it was that he scored more. Comparing them is literally chalk and cheese because you wouldn't get a more different partnership 
in terms of their individual qualities and what they bring. But as a cohesive unit, it's one of the most just pure, potent and effective strike forces we've seen in the RPL in recent years, in in the last decade even. And they're probably the chief reason why. And they're gelling together is probably the chief reason why as to why Zenit have won a hat-trick of domestic titles. Just the goals and assists combined between them and the goals contributions to that Zenit team combined over the last course of the last three years is just absolutely incredible. And I decided to go Zuba in the end because of his total influence. Um, I think Zenit have only lost once. I can't remember the stats now. I should have wrote them down. I did look at it, but they've lost less with Zuba at the team than they have without Asmoon. Asmoon has missed quite a few games towards the back end in the second half of the season. Quite a few, it's like one or two. But it's literally like so close between them it's it's really difficult to choose and I, I did go Artyom Zuber in the end he is once again the highest the goal scorer and his game is what makes Zenit so effective and everything they do is aimed at making Zuber effective and Russia are following suit but David who's your choice for up front? I mean yeah, we're, we all got the same tough decision really here. Um, if Despot had scored a few more, I, I might be able to squeeze him into it, but I can't argue, can't <laughs> argue in, unfortunately. It's, but it's good a season we have. But Zero and Asmoon, I mean, it, I want to just say both. Well, Despot, know, they, they're such a good partnership, you know. Uh, I think Despot Zuba, and Sobolev for like in the next oh, yeah, sort of band down where yeah. they've been brilliant yeah, those this season, two. but just yeah. not just not quite that level. I think I think I think it has to be Zuba just because there was that period where Asmoon for like a month was not good. And also I think in I think he was injured and also they're not good in, in a sort of month period in October. Um and yeah, and Zuba had obviously his own scandal off the pitch. But on the pitch, his worst moment I think I can remember is missing the, the penalty against against Rubin um, in the last minute. And it was that was it was such a poor penalty and that was that was really his worst moment on the pitch. I mean the goal he scored against Loco uh, and when they smashed him six one or whatever, that was that was just it was just classic Zuba, like it just personified him as a player, you know. A big man like that being able to just execute that lob that, that he did so nonchalantly as well, um, and you know I, I see people saying you know oh Zabalotny should I saw I saw people saying Zabalotny should be starting for Russia instead of Zuba, which is just madness. You know, if it, it, it's it's interesting to wonder <laughs> like should should Russia Surely try not. and play Jesus. with two with two strikers. To try and get the best out of Zuba with a with a partner like they do at club level, because um, mm. Zuba obviously is as a solo striker loses a lot of his efficiency because he's having to if, if he's going to hold the ball up he's having to hold it up for midfield runners, or the team just have to whack balls in the box for him. But with a with a strike partner, if you know, let's just say Zavotny or Sobolev were to play out there alongside him. Probably Zablotny because he's a bit more mobile than Sobolev. Let's just be be fair there. Um, you know, I wonder if that could work better. But you know, 
going on a tangent, it, it's got to be just, just, just about Zuba. Uh, you know, Elsmoon had a very good season again. We we all wonder if it's going to be his last in Russia. You know, there, it's not been much in the on the rumor mill about that yet, about his departure or possible departure. But um, you know, Zuba, he. I swear he broke the goal record for the RPL, like in modern RPL history as well, with with that four goal haul against Tamov on the final day. But I, then I've not seen a great deal about it. But I'm sure Zenit tweeted it. So yeah, it, it was Zuba for me. Yeah, and Zuba, of course, I think has assisted Asmoon more than any other player as well. Like he's like joint top with Rakitsky, um, while. More of Zuba's assists have came from other sources. Um, I mean, mainly because these goals come from completely different forms of play. Almost entirely, Asmoon's goals come from or through Zuba at some point. Um, these are really fine margins. Like Asmoon being injured slash out of form for like four games is really harsh to judge him on. But such is the level of performance from this Zenit strike force during the entire course of the season. Uh, the only like d- downside I can remember on the pitch with Zuba was the Krasnodar game, really, when he missed, you know, he had the scandal off the pitch with the video and then was stripped of the captaincy, missed the penalty, and then even then still scored and went on to win 3 1 and got the captaincy back a week later. Uh, it was literally like those fine margins and that, that sort of run of games early to mid November when Zuba had the scandal off the pitch. Um, and it did really affect his form. Yes, he did score because he scores all the time. Um, but these are the levels that we're talking about. And that was why I think, remember, for if I harken back to the discussion in December, why we chose Asmoon ahead of Zuba then. And it's kind of the shoes on the other foot. If it wasn't for those three games at the end of the season, would we be going Asmoon? Because in those... Th- I'll just quickly read out the stats at the end of the season. So this is... Zuba's last three games, uh, the beat Tambov 5-1, he scored four of them. The beat Loco 6-1, he scored two and assisted one. And the beat Rotter 6-0, which he scored as well. Like That run of games, he was just absolutely unbelievable during the course of it. Um, made like four goals on Asmund because he got seven in that period. Asmund himself got another three. So... Like, these are the, the high levels, and this is why it does sound a little bit harsh to judge them so harshly, and and and, and ridiculous to judge them so harshly. But they've only got themselves to blame for that because they've been so good. Richards, who would you go out of the two, or do you have a, a perhaps surprise pick, and and it's not one of them? No, it, it would have to be between those two. I think. I think they've just yeah. I mean, Sobolev and Zabolotny have had good seasons. I will credit them both for that. But I think it has to be between those two. And like I say, it's very fine margins, like you guys just said. Um, and I'm basically just going to go for Zuba based on goals scored. I think, you know, and, you know, he, just because he's a complete forward too, he can do a bit of everything. He can assist, he can score. Asmund's obviously a poacher, a guy who's in the box. He's also quite good in the air mind. He scores a few goals from headers, crosses from headers, from crosses. But. I think I'm just going to go for Zuba because he's that complete forward and because he's just outscored Asmoon. That's all. I mean, it could have been very, very different. Like I say, it's those three, four games, like you said, James, that have, have been the decisive factor. And um, yeah, very close between the pair of them. 
Uh, I mean, if we were lined up four four two, you could have probably even gone for the pair of them. Although, again, John Larson's had another very good season, and we've put him out on the right side. Um, I'm going to go with Asm- I'm Sorry, I'll do with Zuba just, but it's very, very close. I'll go with Zuba. Yeah, yeah, he's 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 been brilliant again. And if Russia are going to have a successful Euros, it's that man is going to be at the centre of it, and he is. He became a national celebrity to an extent after 2018. And hopefully he can do it again. But that is the end of this week's podcast. And the end of the our our own personal coverage of last season's RPL. Now, this time last year we did take a short break. And in the winter we did take a short break. But as David teased earlier, we will actually be back again. And we're going to be recording and getting together to record after every Russia game. As a quick little aside before we do go... Um, Richard, you've got a little something that you want to mention as well. Yeah, um, I just want to bring this up because it happened a couple of weeks ago. Um, this individual's not involved in the RPL at the moment, but he's one of the most famous um, coaching names in Russian Premier League history and in world uh, football history. Um, two weeks ago, um, Dick Advocat, uh, 73 years of age now, played his very last game as a coach. He was coaching Feyenoord. And they beat Utrecht in the final round of the Dutch area, the final game of the Dutch area Divisie season to secure a place in next season's Conference League. And he has stated that um, he has now retired from um, club management. Um, just wanted to pay tribute to um, uh, one of the greatest managers that the Russian Premier League has ever seen. You know, he was part of that that legendary Zenit side. I think between two thousand seven and two thousand um, no two thousand six and two thousand and. Um, Nine, I think it was, Advocat. It was three, three and a half years he was in St. Petersburg. You know, Zenit won the 2007 RPL title. They won the 2008 UEFA Cup, the 2008 European Super Cup. And, you know, that side, they, the way they just completely demolished Bayern Munich in that semi-final of the UEFA Cup was was outstanding. Um, you know, the likes of Zirianov, uh, Timoshuk, Arshavin, Pobrevniak, players like that really came to the forte for Zenit. Martin Skirtle. You know, tons of really good players came to the forte in that run for Zenit in the UEFA Cup. And, you know, Advocat was a huge part of that. And, of course, he's gone on to enjoy, you know, a wonderful distinguished managerial career. He's coached the Dutch national team. He had a good spell at PSV Eindhoven. Famous in fans in the UK for Rangers. You know, I think they won two Scottish titles under his um, leadership. Um, yeah, there were some brilliant players who played for Rangers at the time there in his time coaching in the UK. And then later on, you know, he coached the Russian national team. And I mean, one of one of the most famous memories, and this is going to be uh, particularly poignant to you, James, as um, a Sunderland supporter, is when he kept Sunderland up in the Premier League. And I remember the emotion that came out after that. You know how, you know, it looked like a lost cause for Sunderland, and he kept them up at the end of the season. And just to see, you know, because he's got the nickname the Little General Advocate, and just to see the emotion <laughs> just pouring out of him at the end when he kept Sunderland. Up. I think it was a draw away at Arsenal, wasn't it? He got that draw away yeah. at Arsenal, and just to see the emotion on his face, and it meant a lot to him. And at sixty-seven, he could have easily have been retired back then you know he didn't need to still be coaching at that age he had a long and distinguished career but to come and save Sunderland like that and then to show the emotion at the end from someone who's normally got a reputation of being quite quite stern quite like as I mentioned in his name the general the little general you know um, I thought it was it was really really touching it showed how much it really meant to him to keep Sunderland up you know I just wanted to say that been a fantastic career and I'm sure fans of all the clubs I've mentioned back there We'll wish him a very happy retirement and I think all of us at RFM wish him a very happy retirement indeed for the legacy that he's left for Zenit Russian football and also across world mm-hmm. football. So happy retirement, Dick. Yeah, certainly. A, a massive influence in one of the more storied 
successes of of the of Zenit and in particular. And there's a funny little anecdote with that time that match Sullen that one in particular because he he poked over at the away fans in the way and we were like all celebrating the away end and seeing him. Didn't know at the time. And obviously when you get back got back from Arsenal and he um <laughs> we've seen the footage of him crying and <laughs> And like he went over, and Bert van Lingen went over, and everyone thought at the time van Lingen, who's he's like a fellow Dutchman, long time, long time assistant for like twenty years, um, was assistant Zenit as well. He went over and was like, "What are you crying for? Pull yourself together, man!" <laughs> it's like just typical of that that, that pairs sort of uh, manner about them. Um, incredibly successful coaches in his own right, van Lingen as well. To be fair, but yeah, best of luck in his retirement. Um, I'm sure he retired after he left Sutherland. But then he decided to go back again. He, he couldn't not. So hopefully he can actually find some peace in retirement, and his wife can finally uh, have enjoy enjoy some post retirement with him. Just, but... just 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 watch us after there was another retirement tribute to him in two years when he decides to unretire himself again. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. No, I think this probably might be the last time. But you just never know, do you? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I will finish off with some quick little clips of news, just very very briefly. Of course, uh, Russia. Played their first pre-Euros tournament friendly since we last recorded. Uh, it was a one-all draw in against Poland in Poland. Uh, Vyacheslav Karavayev scoring Russia's goal. Um, the under-21s are also playing a, a, a spate of friendlies. Um, they're, it's the first sort of new set of fixtures for the next generation, really, after the the last generation aged up after the Euros, the under-21 Euros, of course, that is. And four players have been dropped from the Russia squad as Stanley Stanislav Chetesov has now officially named his 26 to play in the Euros. And as kind of mentioned and spoiled a little bit earlier, one of them is, of course, Roman Yevgenyev, alongside Andrei Lunyov, Ilya Samashnikov and Arsen Zaharian. Uh, so that's now Russia all set and setting up for the Euros. And of course, as teased earlier, we will be back for the Euros after every Russia game with some special guests of Belgium football fame, Finnish football fame, and arguably the most special guest of all to review and discuss some the Russia-Denmark match, the former... RFN Editor-in-Chief Toka Thielade makes his long-awaited and long-excited return to the podcast. But this is now the actual final end of this week's podcast. Goodbye for now. Веди его, беги, точнее его ударь Но мяч берет ноги решительный вратарь Не напрасно футбольное поле Самых ловких и смелых плечов Здесь нужны тренировка и воля Быстрота, увлечение, расчет